0: part two of the mother and the child by maria montessori this librivox recording is in the public domain what are the rights of children let us consider them for a moment as a class in society a labouring class for they do indeed labour to produce men they are the future generation they labour and endure the hardships of the physical and spiritual growth They are continuing the work performed for a few months by their mothers, and to them is left the performing of the more arduous, more complex and more difficult task. When they are born, they have naught but potentiality, yet they must do everything in a world which, even on the world of an adult, is full of difficulties. What is done to aid these weak pilgrims in an unknown world? they are born weaker and more helpless than an animal and they must in a few years become men must be a part of an organized and complicated society built on the secular effort of innumerable generations at an age in which civilization that is to say the possibility of living well is based on rights acquired by force and incorporated into laws what are the rights of him who comes along us without strength and without thought. Let us see how the laws of society receive a child into the world. We are in the twentieth century, yet in many civilized nations foundling homes and the practice of using wet nurses are still institutions. What is this foundling home? It is a prison in a dark dungeon, where all too often the prisoners find death as was the case in those medieval dungeons where the victim judged in secret disappeared unknown to any one he will never see his own people his family name is blotted out of existence his goods are confiscated any malefactor whosoever had greater rights than he and yet no one could better prove his innocence the maternal duty of nursing one's children proclaimed by hygiene is founded on the physiological fact that the mother's milk is more nourishing than is any other milk. It is true there is the law of property rights which is final. One need only steal a roll, starving though he be, to become a thief, to be punished by law and put outside the pale of society. But as regards babies, what more sacred right is there than that the baby shall have his mother's milk? There is no doubt as to the legality of his right, his only capital, the milk, came into the world with him and for him. All his wealth is there. His power of life, of growth, of gaining strength, depends on that nourishment. If ever the defrauded child were to be weak and have rickets, what will become of him, condemned as he is by poverty, to a hard occupation? If some day the child, Having attained to manhood, should present his case before society's court of justice, what a just case he would have for damages because of his inability to work and his permanent injuries. What distinguishes us from cannibals and pirates is the fact that the rights of the adults are recognized, not so the child's rights. What cowardliness to recognize the adult's rights and not those of the child! shall we give justice only to those who can defend and protect themselves and in all else remain barbarians the peoples of today may have attained a greater or less degree of evolution from the standpoint of hygiene but they all belong to the same civilization i e the rights of the strong when we intend to consider seriously the problem of the child's moral education We should glance around and at least be cognizant of the world we have prepared for him. Do we desire that, like ourselves, he may unheedingly trample on the weak, that he may hold ideas of justice which halt before one who cannot protest? Do we wish to make of him a half-civilized man when he meets his equals, and a half-beast when he comes in contact with the hosts of oppressed and innocent? If we keep in our conscience facts of such serious injustice, not to call them crimes, without ever being aware of them, what may not be the lesser evils which will descend on the child? HOW WE RECEIVE THE CHILDREN WHO COME INTO THE WORLD Until recently nothing was ready to receive this wonderful guest. It is only recently that little beds for children have been manufactured. There used to be no washstands, no armchairs, no little tables, no brushes. From among so many houses, not one house for them. Only very rich and privileged children have their own room, and it is almost a place of exile. Let us imagine enduring for a single day the torment to which they are condemned. Supposing that we should find ourselves among a giant people whose legs were exceedingly long in comparison to ours whose bodies were enormous but who were very quick as compared with us and exceedingly agile intelligent people if we wish to climb their stairs the steps are high on a level with our knee and yet we have to try to climb up with them if we wish to sit down the chair reaches almost to our shoulders climbing up with difficulty we finally succeed in perching ourselves on it. We would like to brush our dress, but the big brushes are so heavy that our hand cannot even grasp, much less hold them. For brushing our nails, we are given a clothes brush. We could easily take a bath in the washbasin, but our arms would not be strong enough to lift it. If we knew that these giants were expecting us to do so, we would say, they have made no preparation to receive us, to make our visit comfortable the child finds all that he could wish for in the form of toys or dolls the rich multiform attractive environment was not made for him whereas dolls have houses with sitting-rooms kitchens and closets everything which the adult possesses is reproduced in miniature for the doll the child however cannot actually live with all these things he can only play with them The world has been given to him as a joke, because, as yet, no one has admitted that he is a living man. He finds that society has prepared an ironical reception for him. The child really tries to live with all the things that surround him. He would really like to use a washstand by himself, to dress himself, actually to comb the hair on a living head, really to sweep the floors he too would like to possess chairs tables armchairs clothes hooks and closets what he wants is really to work to attain an intelligent end to have the enjoyment of his own life besides he must not only act like a man but he must actually form the man this is the predominating tendency of his nature his mission the smallest things suffice to make him happy to hang his clothes on a hook placed low on the wall within his reach to open a light door whose knob is in proportion to his hand silently and lightly to move a chair whose weight is adapted to the strength of his arms it is a very simple matter to offer him an environment where everything is built in proportion to his size and to let him live there then there develops in him that active life which has caused so much wonder because we see in him the revelation of a spiritual life. In that harmonious environment we have seen the child concentrated on intellectual work, as a seed which has taken root in the right ground, and from that develop and grow by one means only, prolonged constancy in each exercise. When the little ones are seen acting in this way, intent upon their work, slow in carrying it out because of the immaturity of their constitutions as they are slow in walking because their legs are still short one has the intuitive feeling that they are perfecting their lives as a chrysalis slowly perfects the butterfly within its cocoon to hinder their occupations would be to commit violence against their life on the contrary what is generally done to children we all interrupt them without the slightest regard without the slightest respect, with the manners which were used by masters toward slaves who had no human rights. To have the same regard for a child as for an adult would seem ridiculous to many people, and yet with what severity we say to children, do not interrupt us. If the little one is doing something, for example eating by himself, an adult comes along and feeds him. If he is trying to put on his apron, the adult runs to dress him all brutally take his place without the slightest respect and yet we are keenly aware of the proprietorship of our work and whoever tries to take our place offends us what would happen to us were we to become slaves to a people incapable of comprehending the sensitiveness of our feelings a giant people stronger than ourselves while we are quietly eating our soup, relishing it, at our pleasure, and we know what enjoyment is found in this freedom. A giant comes along and grabs the spoon from our hand and makes us swallow so fast that we almost choke. Our protest, for goodness sake wait, would be accompanied by a contraction of the heart and our digestion would be endangered. If another time. While thinking of something pleasant, we were slowly putting on our coat, with that satisfaction and that liberty which we have in our own home, and the giant would light upon us, and in the twinkling of an eye, having dressed us, should carry us bodily out of the door. We would feel our dignity so belittled that the whole pleasure of the walk would be lost. Our nourishment does not come simply and purely from the soup swallowed, And the well-being does not come simply and purely from the walk but also from the freedom which accompanies all these things we would feel rebellious and offended not certainly because of hatred of these giants but only because of the love for an inner tendency to let our life function freely there is something within us that man does not know which one might say with an expression easily understood god alone knows and he is imperceptibly manifesting it to us that we fulfil it. It is this love which more deeply nourishes and gives the feeling of well-being to our life, even in its most minute acts. Because of this, it is said that man does not live by bread alone. How much more true is this in the case of the child, where creation is at work? children must defend their little acquisitions in the environment by struggles and rebellion when they want to exercise the senses for instance that of touch everyone reprimands them saying don't touch if they try to take some object from the kitchen some leftovers to make a pie within a little plate they are chased away they are mercilessly led back to their toys How many times one of those wonderful moments, in which their attention is fixed, and that process of organization which must develop them is starting within them, has been brusquely interrupted, as the spontaneous efforts of the children are seeking blindly in the environment for those things with which to nourish their intellect? Have we not all perhaps had the feeling that something in our life has been crushed forever? Let us picture adults who were not settled in life, as are most men, but were in a state of inner autocreation, like men of genius. Suppose a writer to be under poetical inspiration, and about to give to humanity a helpful and inspiring message. Or let us take the mathematician, who cites the solution of a great problem whence would spring new principles useful to humanity. Or take an artist whose mind is conceiving the ideal image which must be put on the canvas immediately so that a masterpiece may not be lost imagine such men at such psychological moments suppose there came into their presence a cruel person calling aloud to them to follow and this person should take them by the hand and then push them out to what purpose to play a game of chess oh they would say you could not have done anything worse to us our inspiration is lost humanity will be deprived of a poem a masterpiece a useful discovery because of this foolishness but the child loses not only a product but himself as well for the masterpiece which he is creating in his immortal self is the new man and it is not only the soul which suffers but the body suffers too for this is what characterizes men the influence that the spirit has on his entire physical existence we deceive ourselves in thinking that we give all to the child when we give him air and food indeed we do not give even this food and air are not enough for man's body all the physiological functions depend on the well-being and that is the only key to the whole of life so also the child's body lives by the freedom of the soul A new hour is about to strike for the relations between mother and child. The modern mother, who is prepared to care perfectly for the physical life, and who for such a mission has only yesterday opened her mind to new studies and new ideas, and has accepted new responsibilities, is about to take a step forward. Like care, dictated by science, will be demanded of her tomorrow, for the intellectual hygiene of the child. And for the health of his inner life. No longer will medicine alone furnish her the necessary teachings, but also a renewed pedagogy based on the positive facts of science. The girls who yesterday, in order to be better mothers, took hospital training, will tomorrow go to children's schools to learn the art of protecting the new lives which are about to be entrusted to them by nature then the maternal mission will become complete and woman will turn her steps toward motherhood with open eyes and with the dignity of one who is no longer only a creator but also a protector of posterity one who guards and saves the body and mind of the new humanity end of part 2 end of the mother and the child by maria montessori